Hey parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Before you dive into this episode, I want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to my show, Parenting Our Future. And did you know that you can watch this show as well on YouTube? If you want to watch this episode instead of listening to it, you can head over to my YouTube channel, Parenting for Connection, where you will find all of my podcast episodes as well as a library of my videos that have tips and parenting strategies on how to parent even the most difficult kiddos. You will learn how to get better behavior, better listening, so that you can feel more calm and confident in your parenting no matter what you're facing. So I hope to see you over on YouTube. Now back to the show. If you've got a kid with ADHD or you think you might have a child with ADHD, you want to listen up. I have sort of ADHD royalty on my show today, Peter Shankman. He is a spectacular example of what happens when you find the best traits of ADHD and work really hard to make them benefit you. By the time Peter was diagnosed with ADHD, he had started and sold two companies and realized that all the differences that formally labeled him as a troublemaker were actually some of his greatest assets. By the time he sold his third company, he decided to focus on really understanding the faster brain that he had and learning exactly what it could do. From that, Faster Than Normal, his podcast, and book of the same name were born. Since then, Peter has written numerous best-selling books, and Faster Than Normal is the number one podcast on ADHD. He believes that everyone has gifts, potential, and abilities that, that are far beyond what society deems as normal. And he strives to help bring those gifts to life in as many people as he can. He lives in New York City with his daughter, who's 10 years old, and he just is all around a fascinating person to listen to, to follow on the complexities and sometimes the confusing nature of ADHD. Peter, I am so happy to have you here. And we're here really to talk about your newest book, The Boy with a Faster Brain. So first, welcome. And I'm so glad there are people like you in this world who are helping us understand ADHD. Because as a mom of a son who has pretty severe ADHD, we need as much help as we can get, not just for ourselves, but for the people around our child too. You know, it's interesting. When I was growing up in the 70s and 80s in New York City, um, ADHD didn't exist. What existed was, Peter, sit down, you're disrupting the class again. And I grew up with that, you know, and it was it was difficult because it wasn't it took another, I mean, you know, I got got diagnosed in my late 30s and it probably took 30 years from the time I was a kid to get me to understand that any of the success I've had has actually been a success and has not just been a fluke and has not just been, you know, I'll give a keynote. To 25,000 people and one person will um, will uh, not stand up, you know, in the, for the standing ovation. It could be that he's a paralyzed person and can't stand up to begin with, but I don't, in, in my head, oh my God, I was terrible. Everyone hated me, <laughs> right? So, you know, and that all comes from being told that you're broken and being told that you're different and being told that sit down, you just run to the class and being told, you know, just sit, stay quiet and don't talk. To and so if I, if this new book, it's a boy with a faster brain can teach children at an early age that they're brilliant, not broken. And, mm-hmm. you know, let's get them to start understanding that now so they're not spending the next 40 years of their lives undoing the damage that's been done by everyone telling them there's something wrong with them. Yeah, you know, where what I specialize in with the parents that I work with is kids that are 
defiant, have high needs, are strong-willed, have explosive emotions. And a lot of these kids are ADHD kids and I get it. You know, I've got a son, like I said, that's, that's like that. And when you talk about school, you know, there's, there's literally not one teacher I haven't cried in front of. And my son graduates, we just had his commencement actually on Tuesday and yeah. And you know, that's a really, it's a really exciting time. It's also so, somewhat terrifying because now he's being unleashed into the world. But I remember <laughs> early on grade one, uh, and I'm still mad at this teacher. She, you know, she put him as far away from her in the classroom as possible, as far away from all the other kids, had this little piece of paper on his desk where she's like, well, obviously he needs attention and he's doing attention seeking behavior. So he needs to, I need to check in with him every day. So she would shame him. She would draw attention to him, all of this stuff. And it was devastating to see somebody treat my boy like that when I knew he couldn't help it. And he really was a great, is a great person, but just see. I had the same thing. I I mean, I had the same thing. I remember, I remember being in school. I remember I had a, I remember college. I had a college professor who told me that I should consider going into something safe like accounting because I'd never make it in journalism uh, since, since I was too hyper to ever uh, get, let, the, let the subject talk. And um, when I was invited back uh, to, to, to Boston University to accept Distinguished Alumni Award in 2015, um, I said that I would go if they invited this professor. Um, <laughs> they didn't. He didn't show up, but they did invite him. So I like to think that he learned, you know, what had happened. Oh, success is the best revenge, isn't it? <laughs> really was nice. I won't lie. Okay. So here's the thing though. You're saying it's a gift. And I totally agree with you that, that these kids are not broken. They're brilliant. And they're also sometimes very difficult to parent. So what do you say to the parents? How, how do you, how do you sort of make, come to terms with that? And how do you understand these kids better? Because they can be very emotional. They can be very defiant. They, you know, ADHD often comes with a friend like obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. oppositional defiance, uh, Tourette's, different things like that. How do you, I'll just let you answer the question. How do you make sense of all of that? So when my podcast uh, hit 100 episodes, we're at like 300 now. When we hit 100, um, I had my parents. And it was awesome. I'm like, welcome to Fast and Normal, introducing mom and dad, right? And it was really I cool. Love- I invited them on to talk to me. And I said, I have a question. I said, I was not always the easiest son to raise. And then in 10 minutes later, when my dad stopped laughing, I said, um, I said, how'd you guys do it? I said, what tips can you give the the rest of the world listening who might be on this journey uh, that you mm-hmm. guys somehow survived. And I remember I saw them on video. They looked at each other and said, we never stopped loving you. Aww. They said, we kept telling you that we loved you and you drove us insane. And we didn't live, we lived, by that time we had moved to a house so we couldn't kick you out of an apartment window. We we had no choice. You know, we we just kept loving you. We, we knew you'd find your way. Um, no. And the same thing is too. Although, although now the difference is there are so many more resources for parents out there. We're having this conversation. We're discussing this every single day. That the mental health awareness is bigger. You know, it's not just. I, I always remember there was a wonderful episode of South Park where um, 
they're talking about the whole episode about ADHD and they have this doctor who comes on. He's like, I figured out a great way to make, I, I found the cure to ADHD. Watch, here's a child. He's hyper. And the kid, the doctor slaps the crap out of the kids. Like, Sit down and study. And the kid shuts up and says, See, I've solved the problem. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Obviously not accurate, but at the end of the day, you have to understand that your, your kids, again, they're not broken. They're brilliant. And that they have, they are, they are learning. They, they, sorry, waffle, waffle enough. They've been given a Lamborghini when they have, when they're being taught how to drive a Honda Accord. Yeah. That is the biggest description I can make. The school system, the education system, um, everything about our world tells us to learn how to drive a Honda Accord, which is a lovely car. It's a very nice car. It's a safe car. But if you're used to driving a 10-year-old Honda Accord and you have to gun it you know, and floor it to get onto the highway and someone gives you a Lamborghini and you try to floor that, you're going to be four miles ahead and crashing into a tree. So we are teaching children we're still to this day teaching children like they're just one big brain and they're not. Every child's brain is different. So advocate for your child. Get a diagnosis if you want to and explain to your head, look, my kid is is a little different. Here's where he excels. Here's what we can do to help him excel. Um, you know, eliminate choice, right? I have, I, I learned this years ago and I do it for my daughter and I, I have two sides to my closet and they're literally labeled. They say, on one side, it says office slash travel, and it's T-shirts and jeans, just like I'm wearing. The other side says speaking slash TV, and it's button-down shirts, jackets, and jeans. That's it. My suits, my vests, my my sweaters, they're all in my daughter's closet. Because if I had to go into my uh, uh, every day, get, get off the bike, you know, take a shower, you know, God, what should I wear today? What a great day. I wonder what I should... Oh, that sweater, I remember that sweater. Laurie gave me that sweater. God, I wonder how she... It's been three months. I haven't spoken to her. And now it's three hours later. I'm naked in the living room on Facebook, and I haven't left the house. So... <laughs> You teach your kid ways to use their faster brain. You know, we we wake the kid up, we throw them in front of the TV and give them two bowls of chocolate frosted sugar bombs before driving them to school. Maybe we wake them up and we go for a power walk with them and then give them uh, some protein, maybe some eggs or something like that. And then, and then we'll have them walk to school or whatever, where we get the ability to create the dopamine they're going to need for that day, right? We, teachers, uh, I, I visited a school in Staten Island, New York recently where um, every child has the authority to stand up and go to the back of the room and they can do squats, they can do jumping jacks, they can breathe, whatever they need to do to allow themselves to get back in the zone. And, and it's it's amazing. There was a, a school district in Texas, Texas of all places, that that you don't think of them on the forefront of many things, yet they were they were the forefront of this. They they took a a, a um a college took over or a college uh professor uh changed one of the school districts for an entire year. And increased uh, exercise or, or, or playtime from 15 minutes a day to 90 minutes a day and changed the food they ate from um, so like 70% carbs to like 30% carbs, 50% uh, protein, 20% fats. Um, and they saw a 19% decrease in boys uh, having outbursts, ADHD outbursts in school, and a 21% increase in girls getting involved in the class because girls and boys present differently. So it's those kind of things that we can do, that parents can do. Stand up for your kids, advocate for your kids, you know, introduce them to, to exercise as early as possible. Let them know that's where they're going to make their, that's exercise is how they're going to supercharge their brain. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, when it comes to brains, I think that we're, we're in a much better place right now where we can recognize more so that everybody's brain is like a fingerprint. Like everybody's brain is different and you, you know, ADHD kids have got something going on. Other kids have got something different going on. Right. And if we can just understand that it's all unique, then we don't have to judge so much. Would you agree with that? Or. I would totally agree with that. I think that, you know, again, we live in an environment where, where, at least when I grew up, right? Where if you're different, that's wrong, right? Yeah. I joke that I, I I spent time, I grew up in Staten Island. Even though I was a city kid and I went to high school in the city and all that, I, I had to sleep on Staten Island, which meant I did elementary and junior high school in Staten Island. And if Staten Island ever succeeded and became its own state, it would have its own license plate model, motto where that motto would read Staten Island, where if you're different, that's wrong. And it was horrible for me. I had a terrible, terrible experience on Staten Island. And so being able to get into the city and go to high school performing arts where everyone was weird, yeah, right? I mean, I had a vote, I have, 25 years of classical vocal training. I was, I, my talent saved me. I don't know if I'd be alive today if I, if I hadn't gotten into LaGuardia because the bullying and, and, and what I dealt with in junior high was not good. Um, again, just because I was different, we need to start embracing those differences. And we also need to understand that our world will literally stop if we do not start embracing the creativity that comes from neurodivergence. Um, uh-huh. The RAND Corporation, which is not something you think about when it comes down to people, but the RAND Corporation literally just issued a 106-page report for the military and for spy organizations in our country that said, if we do not start employing neurodiverse military people and neurodiverse spies, we will become a second-rate country because we have to start thinking differently about how the world works. That is so cool. Wow. Isn't that huge? Yeah, and I was actually, blown away by that. I just, I just had the, uh, the, the lead author of the report. She was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. Amazing oh, stuff. Incredible. And, and not only that, I mean, it's what, what is going to be the next greatest commodity is imagination is. No you know, question about it. If, you, if we want to utilize the full advantages of what we're seeing in AI, we need yeah. creative people to begin with because AI only works if the prompts are good. If you're not creating good prompts for AI, there's no point. How interesting. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's really interesting, you know, what you're, what you're saying. And and I, I related back a little bit to my son, right? He talks really fast, a little bit like you. And when he's in a social setting, he just can't turn it off and he sort of overtakes everything. And it's really interesting because I'll have a family member say, my God, he never shuts up. And then I, and then, you know, I was hurt by that. I was upset by that. And, and then we had some friends over and they were having a conversation. They didn't know him. They were friends of my husband's. And they said, wow, he's so intelligent. He's so, he's got so much to say. Like, it's it's also how we frame it too, you know, as a society and as as people, right? Because I think it can, you know, the, their their opinions can hurt or empower. There's no question about it. And, you know, it's it's hysterical that, that we, I mean, I remember... I remember growing up and I remember, you know, teachers telling me, you, you, Peter does not play well with others. Peter does not know when to be quiet. In high school, I had a teacher named Mrs. Rosenblum. And I still remember this woman. Lovely, lovely, lovely. She was like four foot two, but she was the sweetest one in the world. And she wrote, she goes, Peter, I understand that your antics and your craziness is not, what she said, I understand your antics and your craziness is not a negative. Use that to your positives. You are the oh. alpha and omega of this school. And I truly believe that you do know everything. I mean, I remember that clear as day. It's 30 years, 35 years. And so I had a teacher named Miss Glassman who who is still still lives in New York City. And I see her for coffee like once every six weeks. And she, and this oh. is high school, like the 80s. She understood that my, my creativity was soaring and I needed an outlet for it. And she bought me my first journal. And I started writing. And to this day, 40 years later, I've written six books. I've written millions of words. Yeah. I've written articles, posts, and I, 
And about two years ago, I reconnected with her and I gave her just the biggest hug. I'm like, you believed in me. All it takes is one, one teacher, one parent to believe in you and it's say, hey, you know so what? Much. Pardon my French here. You're not a fuck up. You're going to make it. You're going to make it through this. And and I'm so thankful that I had those. And that's the message I want kids to understand, both with the boy with the faster brain, as well as my speaking to schools on this and everything. Parents and teachers need to understand there is more than one way to learn. There is more than one way that our brains work. And in no way, shape, or form do these multiple ways mean that we are not, that these children are not worth something. They are gifted and, and they're, they're, they're brilliant. So what do you think about the overdiagnosis? Uh, the, and I'm using, like, I'm going to use air right. quotes about it. Overdiagnosis <laughs> of ADHD, the overprescribed um, Ritalin or Adderall. What do you think about that stuff? I believe that it is a real, I don't believe there is a real overdiagnosis because the fact of the matter is, is that one out of every eight children or one of every people in this world are neurodivergent. Okay, that's a lot of people. That's about a billion people. The number one diagnosis of ADHD, the number, the most fast, use your words, Peter, the most fastest growing um, diagnostic segment of ADHD is parents. Because they're taking their kids in and their kids are getting diagnosed. They're saying, huh, this looks familiar. Yeah. I'm curious to see when the tipping point hits, when the weird ones are the non-neurodivergent ones. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I hope I'm still alive to see that. I probably won't be probably my kid or my, my kid's kid. But, you know, I love the fact that I am who I am. And I've, I'm 51 years old. I have no, for, or almost 50, which well, is almost 51. Yeah, I'll be 51 in August. I have no formal business training, and yet I've started and sold three companies for millions of dollars. Um, you know, I decided one day it might be fun to go skydiving. So as a PR stunt for my first company, I took 150 of us skydiving. 149 people had a great time and, and checked off their bucket list. I got licensed. I now have over 500 jumps. Um, you know, I, I was a fat kid growing up. I ran in high school and college. I ran to the store for cigarettes. That was about it. And then in my late 20s, I had an employee who ran and she was really cute. And she's like, you should start running. I'm like, okay. And so I started running. Most people do a 5K, check it off their list. Nope, had to do a marathon. That wasn't good enough. Had to do an Ironman. Why suck at one sport when you can suck at three? And so I've done two full Ironman. These, this is the way my brain works. I wouldn't trade it for anything, right? Mm. And that's what I want parents to understand. I want them to be able to look forward 10, 20, 30 years in the future and understand that the, the stuff that their kids are struggling with now, they're struggling because they're putting in, they're being put into a system that doesn't work for them. Yeah, They're the square peg into the round hole. When they get out of school and they realize that they can do literally whatever they want, the entire world's going to open up. I had one real job in my life. My first job after college, I got into, uh, I, I got lucky. I was hanging out in a chat room on AOL and someone about Melrose Place of all things. And someone in that chat room said, my company's trying to build a newsroom, send me your resume. And I, I got hired by America Online. And wow. AOL, this was in the 90s when AOL was the internet. And I spent three years working in America Online, um, helping to found their newsroom. And when I left, I went back to New York. I was I was moved to New York by a, for a job. I moved back to the city and I took a job uh, with a magazine, a very popular, large magazine as one of their associate editors. And AOL was awesome because they let you work any way you wanted. I could, I could work in midnight. I could work from a forest. They didn't care. Right. Awesome. I get to this magazine and we have eight o'clock meetings and we have 8.30 check-ins and we have nine o'clock meetings and we have 9.45 editorial meetings. And I'm like, oh my God, this is Russia. And I quit within 10 days. Mm. And that was the last job I ever had. It will be 25 years this October since I formed my first company. Half a, half a, half my life. 
And it's it's been the best thing mm-hmm. I ever did. Yeah. I, I just I okay. If so you let can me make the rules when you realize you can make the rules. Life gets a lot better. Mm-hmm. So so it is really interesting, you know, what you said about a lot of parents, right? Parents are getting diagnosed themselves. Um, you know, here's the thing, though. The couple things I want to say is, you know, we just have to understand the way ADHD shows up for a lot of people, too, because it can be hurtful as well. Like my dad is ADHD. Uh, my And I would growing up with a dad with ADHD, for example, is, uh, and, and I know this not to just be my own story, but his is other people's as well. Um, you can feel really unimportant. Like what you have to say doesn't matter because they are so, okay. Yeah. I'm not, it's hard to be present. So what I want to ask you is how do we get you people like you beautiful ADHD people? How do we cut through the noise and the, and the, and the Ferrari engine that's revving in your head, how do we cut through and get your attention? Because that's a difficult thing to do for a lot of us. Do we slow down? Do we connect? What do we do? A lot of that is on the person with ADHD. When I was married, I have a, I have a a wonderful ex-wife. We're still very close friends. Um, We share joint custody of our daughter. Mm -hmm. But when I was, um, when I was married to her, it was very difficult. Because mm-hmm. I would come home. I had an office a couple miles away. I'd walk home. So I'm getting a dopamine hit from walking home. Awesome. I'd walk yeah. in the door. Whether I had a great day or bad day, I'd be like, here's my day. I can tell you everything. Didn't matter what she was doing. Didn't matter what her day was like. Didn't matter what was going on in her world. Hmm. I'm home. I got to tell you that. As an ex-girlfriend of mine, who's now the who's now the lead psychologist for the CBS early show, which would really tell you something about the people I date. Um told me once that the reason we broke up or the reason in her mind that we broke up was because it was always the Peter Shankman show. Right. That it was never about her. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that that I am the only person who can fix that. Right. Or me. Um, And so because of that, I have implemented tactics that I use every single day. If I walk, if I go to pick up my daughter, I make sure I'm there 20 minutes early so I can do a few minutes of deep breathing. Mm -hmm. So when she comes out, I can immediately focus on her. How was your day? What did you learn? And what was exciting? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, when I'm with my partner, I'm, I'm dating a wonderful woman now. Uh, when I've been with her about four years, when I see her again, let's talk about you. Um, I can offer things to these people that they can do to make life easier. When my girlfriend says, hey, what do you want for dinner? I say, I don't know. What do you feel like? That's her cue to give me two choices. She says, oh, we can do Italian or sushi. Because if she, gives, if she says whatever you want, we're going to be trying monkey brains and she's probably going to hate it. Right. So, or something like that. So again, you, you just like AI, it's about the cues and the prompts that you give. Right. So if you are trying to talk to your father, trying to talk to someone with ADHD, say, Hey, I'd love to ask you some questions. Let me know when you're in a good place to do that. Mm, that creates the prompt. If you just show, a perfect example is, you know, my phone is on silent all the time. Um, the only people that can get through to me during the day when I'm on, when I'm working are my ex-wife, my parents, and my daughter's school. Those calls um, will, will break through the silent and, and, and ring because, you know, I want to know if something's wrong. When my ex-wife calls me during the day, she's had to learn this too. She used to call and she used to say, I'm like, hey, is everything all right with you and Jessa? And she goes, oh yeah, yeah. I just have a question. I'm like, all right, I'm kind of slammed right now. Can I call you later? 
and I'd be able to go back to my zone. Problem was she used to say, oh yeah, yeah, I just have one question. I'm like, okay, that's not me calling you later. That's you taking me out of my zone of focus to work. And right. so she finally learned that. And so there is work you can do with the people who you love to explain, hey, here's what works for me. I actually wrote a piece. If you search it on Medium, I wrote a piece several years ago called 10 Things to Know When You Live With or Love Someone with a Faster Brain mm. uh, or with ADHD or whatever it is. And so you can search that and find that. And it's, it's, it's I, th- I think, tremendously helpful. Well, I'll put it in the show notes. How about that? There you go. Okay. So, so, so what I heard you say is, you know, communication is really key, but also what I, what, what it sounds like is it's taken you time, maybe some pain, some adversity to learn that it's on me to learn that it's on you, that I've got to do some things because I, you obviously care about those people in your life. You want to have successful relationships. So there's an evolution in your own self that has made you want to show up differently so that you can connect more. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, it is. I I would, that is accurate. I would also add to that, that we, we know it's a great line in in Parks and Rec where uh, the, I don't remember his name, the lead character, he goes, uh, the one who's always very, um, uh, Ron, uh, is it Ron? Ron Ron Swanson. Yeah. Yeah. He goes in and he, he sits down at a restaurant and he orders uh, meat or something. And he says, I'll have a number 12. And the guy goes, that's a party platter, sir. It serves 12 people. He goes, I know what I'm about, son. Yes. Right. And it's, it's a brilliant line, but yeah. you know, it's very true when you, when, when you're neurodiverse, you do tend to eventually sit down one day and learn about yourself. When I sold help reporter mm-hmm. out my last company, I took a year, I took about a year and a half and literally just learned about myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And discovered all these things I could do differently or whatever. And it wound up changing my life. And so, so the, the premise behind that is that we do know ourselves really well. If you allow us to explain um, what we're doing, we will show you how we can do it better. Um, you just have to listen. So for the parents out there, I think that maybe we can give ourselves permission to not control our kids, to not worry ourselves to death about how they're going to be out there, that they will find their way. And there is a lot to be said about a fully grown brain, right? I mean, by the time you're 30, you should have a fully grown brain. PhD I would argue that. I would suggest that our brains are constantly growing and they're, they'll, they'll, they're still growing and they'll still be growing. And if we, if we ever really, if we ever say we're done and we can stop learning, that's a mistake. I think that I think that they change. You know, I can tell you I'm an entirely different person now than I was at 30, like massively. Yeah. Um, at 30, I still probably had the social acuity of a turnip. I already sold one company, yet I still had no, could not read social social cues, anything like that. Yeah. Um, I've done a ton of self-work um, with my therapist to fix that. Um, it's, a very pos- it's very, very possible that in some ways I'm slightly autistic. Um, but, you know, I think that I have, I have, working on myself has given me what I need to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And so, and the daughter, the daughter's home from school. That's the barking. I'm so sorry. We love waffles. But, um, it's fine. Waffles. We love waffles. Appearance okay. in the show notes. Yes, I'm uh, my call. Special so, guest. <laughs> exactly. Special guest, the daughter. No, so that, and, but again, I think it's, it's one of those things where you, where you, you ne- should never continue to stop growing and stop learning. Um, you know, should you understand those things by 30? Of course you should. 
but not everyone does. Yeah. And I'm not saying that. I, I mean, growth might, I think like a growth mindset is, is different than, you know, how, how the brain grows and evolves, but you're, you're right. The brain can grow and change at any time, just in terms of maturity wise, you know, you're, you're, that's really what I, what I meant by that. Um, but yeah, I think so. So, so back to what I was saying, um, you know, sort of resting in, in the development and the growth of your, your child, and maybe taking that off your shoulders a little bit to not worry as much about them and allow them to have adversities and know that hopefully they'll learn from those things. Like that's kind of what I'm talking about. And yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, um, everything we do, we can learn from, and we need to stop being so damn hard on ourselves, both as parents and as, as people just in general, we need to stop being so damn hard on ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, for those parents that are listening that have a child with pretty severe ADHD, you know, if you haven't said it already, what, what is a message that you would, you would send to them? Just embrace them, love them through it. Uh, yeah. Know. It's, it's your life is going to be, their lives are going to be incredible. They are gifted, brilliant kids and they're going to do so amazingly well. Um, they just need to learn a little bit of difference. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about your book for a minute. What is, uh, let's, let's dive into why you wrote this one because you do have other books. What, what is this one about and which, what is it that makes this one different? The boy with a faster brain. So it's my first children's book. Oh, gotcha. It is my, I, I really, I wrote this to, to teach children again, they're not broken. They are, um, amazing. And, um, yeah. And that, that, that they are going to do incredible things. Um, they can teach them, you know, I think that they can learn from it. Basically the book follows a 10 year old boy named Peter who has ADHD and who uh, is constantly getting in trouble in school. Unlike me though, he gets diagnosed and he starts working with a therapist and he learns about cognitive behavioral therapy and he learns about things he can do to de-stress, you know, walking, exercise, deep breaths, whatever. And he improves dramatically and his entire life improves and his, his, his gifts finally start to come out. And so it's about Beautiful. Peter, his parents, and Dr. Lisa, who's his therapist. And it, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful short story. I had it illustrated by a lovely woman um, named Isabel de Flores. And it, it really, it it's doing really, really well. I'm like over the moon with how well it's doing. And like I said, just this morning, I was notified that it, it won the National Parenting Products um, Award for 2023. So congratulations. Really That's you. wonderful. That's wonderful. And you know, one thing that I want to leave you with and listeners with is, you know, I'm somebody that was told all of my life that I was loud. I talk too fast and I might have something going on possibly. I don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you what, there's something to be said about being an entrepreneur. Like, like, like you uh, talked about where you just get to be yourself. And oh, yeah. this is the first time in my life. I'm just able to just be myself and you know what, take it or leave it. Right. But I like to be silly. I like to be serious. I have many different sides to me and it feels really good to finally like feel good in your own skin. And that's what we really want to do for our kids. Because if we don't, and we tell them that they're bad, we tell them that they're not good enough. That will stay with them. It's the record. They're going to spend the rest of their, their life. Head. They're going to yes. spend the rest of their life trying to get out of that. I, I agree with you. And very um, many, um, you know, uh, we we do so many things like people pleasing that are so not helpful to us just because we want other people to accept us and like us. And if we were just accepted as who we are, I had a wonderful quote that matters the most. I have a wonderful quote. I I have a wonderful quote that I look at often that says, I am who I am. Your approval is not needed. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, success is the best revenge. That's, that's. Amen. 
Okay. Well, I mean, this is fantastic. And, uh, you know, you're somebody that, um, you know, I want my, my son to know too, somebody who like recognizes that this is, Hey, you got a Ferrari inside you, not a Toyota Corolla or whatever you said. Her, uh, you know, the Honda exactly. Honda Accord. There you go. Very respectable, but you've got something bigger. And you know, on the heels of a graduation with my son, it's on my mind. It's definitely on my mind. So I just want to say thank you, um, you know, for for what you've done and for being a voice that people can, you know, can can look to. And so your podcast is faster brain. People can podcast is faster. Podcast is faster than normal. Oh, faster than normal. Sorry. Yes. The faster book than is, normal. And the book, there's a book called Faster Than Normal as well, which was my adult book. And then The Boy with the Faster Brain is the children's book. Fantastic. And so where can people find your book? Where can people find you? The books are absolutely everywhere. Anywhere you buy books, um, Amazon or any bookstore in the world. I am at shankman.com. My email is peter at shankman.com. I am at Peter Shankman on all of the socials, except Twitter, because I hate it now. It's turned into a cesspool. But other than that, I am everywhere. And I am always willing to listen, talk, chat, whatever. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Amazing to, to meet you. Amazing to talk to you. Thanks uh, again. Pleasure was mine. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm Paracoach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would share it with someone who you think needs to hear this message too. And please don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. And if you like my content and want more, please visit my site, parentingforconnection.com, where you can find out more about my coaching, my courses, and all things parenting. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace, connection, and joy.